Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. It's just a, a great conference that is at a at a point right now where they're I think clearly the best group of five conference in the country. The state of Sun Belt football is the strongest in our history, uh, and we got to continue to showcase uh, what our league is about. This league is insane. Yeah, it might be like one of those eight wonders of the world. <laughs> and you can see just what a great group of five conference it really is. It, it's a big deal. Boy, life is looking pretty good in the Sun Belt these days. to victory i don't know the rest of the song even though i'm alone and to make you feel better i don't i don't know ulm's fight song either or the alma mater or any of that stuff my son knows his high school fight song i don't even know if my high school had a fight song i'm sure there was i just never knew it I just knew the last line because it was the only thing everyone would ever yell out of as we roam the halls of Daryl Auburn High. <laughs> really? Okay. That's all I got for you on that. Yeah, you know what? Actually, it was, I, I, you know, that it was a good game, Tim. So it's no big deal to beat the Warhawks. It's just kind of business as usual. Didn't really, you know, register much on the Richter scale of interest to me, actually. You know, it was just a... Fundamental football game, X's and O's, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, I barely even, you know, uh, remembered that you were a part of the ULM organization, so I didn't even bother to, to, to shit talk you through the whole game. And so yeah, yeah, that, sure. And for that, we thank you. <laughs> no, good win for Arkansas State. They, they, they need to have a win. Uh, it came at the right time. I thought ULM had played pretty well. Um. They certainly have a great defensive front, the the front four. There's some big hosses on that front four. Caused a lot of problems for James Blackman making plays. But but overall, I, you know, and maybe you'll agree with me on this, Tibbs. I, there's not like an explosive offensive playmaker outside of Chandler Rogers. And that's what the UL, ULM is missing. They're missing that, that dynamic wide receiver or that power running back that could really take over the game. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think if you could merge uh, Malik and Andrew Henry together, I think you would have that dynamic player. But yeah. separately, they're good running backs. They're just not that that game changer. No, I, I don't. I, I I felt like the offensive line could make some holes when they wanted to or when they needed to. And Henry, every now and then, would bust off a pretty good run. But for the most, yeah, where's Boogie Knight, for instance? Didn't didn't see him make any plays. He 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 uh, ran one kickoff back and did pretty well with that. Uh, didn't really see any wide receiver distinguish themselves. I I thought Rogers was dangerous. I mean, the kid can throw and he can run. He was really accurate. So I don't know. Get some guys around Rogers. And I think ULM has a team. Yeah, and, and that offensive line the their work in progress. I think that they've improved every game. Um, I think now that we're playing conference play and people more on our level, you're, you're seeing that it's a, a a serviceable offensive line. Yeah. But around yeah. the Sunbelt Conference there, Jeremy, there were a lot of great games as well. Which one really stood out to you this weekend? Well, let's, you know, all right. So 
<laughs> that Georgia State Army game, which is the first game of the Sun of the Sun Belt slate, uh, I I, I, I was watching um, because it was the first game on, and uh, it was sort of a back and forth thing, you know. Georgia State got off to a good start, and then Army just started coming back. They were like a tank rumbling through. And third quarter, it looked like Army was going to take over. They were down three points. It was like 17-14. They got to the one-yard line. It was like, all right, it's over because Georgia State can't stop this run. Georgia State stopped the run. <laughs> I mean, and then just kind of took over the game. So it was a really good win for the Panthers, who, who, who's been struggling to find some kind of good win. Uh, they found that moment where they finally manned up and – took a stop to the army now army's not like army strong like it used to be but that was an impressive stop and then it was impressive to put the icing on that cake and then for the warhawks to face army to complete the sunbelt sweep of the golden ones your job as a warhawk is to make sure you defeat army and not let them have any breathing distance on us that that's that's a tall task we'll do what we can here in the few weeks the game that i really watched the most of this weekend, South Alabama at the Raging Cajuns. Mm, yeah. Came down to a field goal. It came down to a field goal. The, the kicker redeemed himself from missing the field goal last year for that victory. But I think that game was big because it showed the Jags could go on the road and win that close game, which they should have at UCLA. And we have JT Crabtree coming up later on to talk about the Jags and how the season's shaken out so far. I bet he's pretty excited. I bet he is, <laughs> is still kicking Keen Womack and everyone else for not just going for it <laughs> to run the clock out at UCLA. But a whole other discussion that we'll have later yeah. on. Maybe we can talk to him about that. I think the one disappointing game that we really had of the weekend, though, Liberty and Old Dominion. I just mm-hmm. feel that Old Dominion – kind of showed a little bit of their true colors that maybe this week they weren't as good as what we thought they were. But at the same time, 24-38 to to a pretty good Liberty team isn't a bad show. Well, all right. So Southern Miss, of course, if you look back, had a better show. They didn't beat Liberty, right? I think Liberty beat Southern Miss at the end, right? It was a double overtime. Yeah. And then you get this this Old Dominion game where – you know, something about Old Dominion that surprises me. I always think of Old Dominion as having a really good defense. Uh, you know, they take away plays. Uh, they take, uh, they, they're, they're good at uh, uh, at uh, creating turnovers. Uh, they have a really aggressive front line that gets after the quarterback. But if you look at their uh, rankings for total defense, uh, they're like the bottom 10, Tibbs, which I was kind of surprised to see looking at NCAA stats and then confirming with with just looking at comparing them to the Sun Belt. They're not as good defensively, at least statistically, as I thought they were. Now, I, I thought they were a pretty good defensive team when Arkansas State played them and when uh, definitely when West uh, when Virginia Tech played them. So you get a guy like Hugh Freeze, who is you know, for all his faults, he is a creative, he is an offensive genius when it comes to finding creative ways to win. That's a pretty tight order for Old Dominion to come up and try to beat Liberty. Even though it was at, I, I picked the home team because Old Dominion plays tough at home. And you're right, that was a disappointing. But I tell you what wasn't disappointing. Georgia Southern and Coastal Carolina. 
it, it, is, is Chanticleer like French for rabbit's foot or something? And, and I swear that every time we talk negatively about the shots, uh-huh. I think Jimmy Chadwell listens to us and he is like playing our audio pregame to hype up <laughs> Coastal Carolina. That's the only way that they could really come in and, and, and just kind of dominate the way that they did that game late. The chance oh, we got to show these guys. <laughs> look, look, yeah, look at what the podcast said, those sons of bitches. Yeah, you know, and, and here's the thing. They have the worst pass defense in all the Sunbelt, which is it's kind of crazy to me considering what such tough defense they were known for last season. Grace McCall, he's still doing it. He's still, you know, making his his uh, numbers and, and, and finding ways to win. But, yeah, you have to you have to wonder if maybe the wheels are going to come off that bus. Meanwhile, George, uh, George, uh, Georgia Southern, uh, Van Tees, right? That's his name. Van Trees. Van Trees. That guy, he's the real deal. I believe he's second in the league behind Gunnar Watson, of all people, of Troy, uh, in passing. Uh, so who would have thought that a Georgia Southern team would ever have anybody leading in passing? So uh, that's him. I think the thing that's most disappointing about him, though, is he's already a six-year senior, so he's <laughs> done at the end of this year. It's like – Helton, could you not have gotten a little bit younger of a quarterback that you could have built around to have this excitement? Because imagine next year when this team's a little bit better, but with that quarterback. Hopefully the guys underneath them are, are they got their pads and pencils ready and, and studying every move Bantries is making because he really is showing the fans at Georgia Southern how a passing offense works. Almost got that job done at Coastal. Coastal comes to ULM next, or the, the Saturday. I don't want to give anything away in second and long or second and short, but uh, I might be predicting an upset there. Yeah, it's always an upset anytime the Warhawks lose. <laughs> no, I didn't say you would be upset. I mean, there would be an upset brew, a, a Vegas style upset. So, one game that we have not talked about yet. All right. And it was one of the better games, and it's, it was huge for the league mm. itself. I think I know what you're going to say. Because and, – and whoever is running the Troy social media, tip of the cap, I, I give it to Adam Prendergast regardless. I mean, he's the man. We know that. But they had a picture of the Troy fist holding <laughs> what I could know. only be described as Big Red's head or his scalp. <laughs> I thought it was his scalp. And it, it, it did make me shed a tear because I love Big Red. One of my favorite pictures and Sports Center moments is when I got a picture of me climbing in Big Red's mouth. What? <laughs> Whoa. Hey, we don't want to hear more about your weird fantasies, Tibbs. It was no fantasy. I did it. It was no, it, it, it was like, it was one of those things you just had to do it. Yeah. You know, here's the thing about that victory, too. Uh, when we were talking about that game last week, I said it felt to me the same way Southern Miss and Tulane felt to me, that Tulane was just a better team and Tulane was going to beat Southern Miss. And I was wrong. And I said, I hope that even though I have the same dread for Troy WKU, I hope I'm wrong. I hope the same thing happens. And lo and behold, the same thing happens. And I think that's what what underscores all that is Troy is – is a team that's poised to take over the East. No, no. What, what did I say? East poised 
to take over the West. They might they might be good enough to do both. Yeah. Well, it, you know what it says to me, too, is that South Alabama and Troy are just as good to me, and until I'm proven wrong, are just as good as any team in the East. Now, Tibbs, I don't know what you think of that, uh, but I, 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 you're kind of grinning there. I want to know what you think of that before we introduce our next guest that he can weigh in. I think that Troy had to move to the West in order to dominate, and so far I think they're the best-kept secret in the Sunbelt West. And I've said from the get, yeah. the West – is Alabama team. Yes, you have said that. Yeah, they're hedging your bets a little bit. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. But yeah, you're probably you're I think you're gonna be absolutely right. Although you know Arkansas State's tied with South Alabama and Troy and all and Warhawk, so it's probably gonna be Arkansas State. Anyway, I want to go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry, you, you were breaking up there, Jimmy. I couldn't understand you. Oh well, yeah, I, it might be me. So you know, I've had some phlegm, some some buildup. I'm having a little trouble breathing. Breathing because I was cheering so loudly for the Red Wolves over the weekend. They had a big win over ULM. I don't know if you heard about that. Pretty big win. Warhawks haven't won. Warhawks haven't won in 13 straight seasons. Anyway, I want to go ahead and introduce our next guest. He is a co-host of the Trojan Wall. A big Troy guy. His name is Ben Whitehead. He's going to sort of unravel, reveal, unpack what's going on with Troy. Why Gunnar Watson is suddenly the best quarterback in the Sun Belt. And does the Sun Belt West truly run through Alabama? Ben, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. How big was this past week? Not only that you, you're able to go on the road and get a win, mm-hmm. but able to go against a pretty good Western Kentucky team and then also propel the Sun Belt once again over Kusa Kusa. <laughs> um, honestly, I have said since, I want to say it was about March when the schedule came out, I've said, you know, seven and five was our, our kind of baseline. I thought yeah. we could get seven and five, no, no problem. But, you know, we started looking at that, that first five game stretch, you know, Ole Miss, Alabama A&M, App, Marshall, Western Kentucky. And I started looking more and more at those teams. And I was like, you know, there's a good chance we go one and four. And mm. You know, I was okay with that. You know, it's a brand new coach. We're still kind of picking up from all that Chip Lindsay left behind. And so I, I was like, one and four is good. You know, maybe we steal one from App or Marshall or even West Kentucky and then go two and three. I can tell you 100%, I did not expect to be sitting here after five games and be one ridiculously miraculous throw away from four and one. Yeah, and you actually, yeah, you should be under because you had the Mountaineers. Yeah, it was really gross that you everywhere lost. but the school board. <laughs> yeah, right. and it was gross that you lost the game. That shouldn't have well, happened. It was, we, it that, was definitely gross watching it. <laughs> <laughs> now I know Appalachian State fans; they have been very, uh, very uh, cheerful about the outcome of that. Quite so, Trojan. Honestly, honestly, I wasn't that mad about it. It's one of those, you know app had game day they're on the mountain honestly it had to come down to something crazy so well for the sun belt it was great for the sun belt it was was riveting tv a win for the host of game day you couldn't do any better than that now that appalachian state laying an egg in the next game that was kind of weird but uh well i mean honestly that's kind of a sun belt thing we've done it for years you know (laughs) troy gets ranked 
we lay the egg to Arkansas State. Oh, we beat I LSU. I didn't want to bring that up, but yeah. Um, man, <laughs> I've been living through a lot of losses over 20 years, so I'm good. Uh, I'm inoculated at it at this point. I, I, I see that and raise you 40-plus years. <laughs> You're speaking to a lowly <laughs> citizen of the Warhawks Nation. Yes, uh, poor Tibbs. Begging for victories, begging for something to grab onto. So, Ben, one thing that we talked about early in the season, which mm-hmm. gave me doubts about Troy, was that late in the season, Jared Doge, Doge, I believe is the name. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Gets yep. brought onto the team late. Like, also, mm-hmm. I was like, we got to bring this guy in. And it made me think that the staff had no faith in Gunnar Watson, that maybe Gunnar wasn't really ready to, to, to proceed. What's the story behind that? Why were we so wrong? Um, honestly, um, really with any mistake or, or problem that we've had, I'm just going to blame it on Chip Lindsay. Kind of where well, trust me, it was a long three years. I mean, there was a lot going on. Um, there were a lot of issues. We had some good things that happened, but there, there were issues. So you would have thought that Gunner would have kind of, I don't know, had a, a bit better of a time with Chip Lindsey because he's supposed to be good with quarterbacks, things like that. But um, it just didn't work, not the way we thought it would. He, he would make late-game mistakes. And from what I was hearing um, on our radio show and a few other things, um, during the offseason – Coach Summerall just kind of challenged him and it's like, is that the best you got? Or mm. something to that effect. And it just lit a fire under him. And so he came out slinging and honestly, he's looked probably the best I've seen him since he's been here at Troy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, leads, the, leads the conference in passing. Right. So whatever uh, whatever Coach Summerall uh, put in his ear and maybe had, had the new guy come in and give a little extra uh, – a little extra push mm. it worked well it's not just one new guy we had two this is you know i was saying on another show that i was on i've been following troy for 20 years i've never in my entire time seen a qb room and a running back room as stacked as we have it right now because you've got gunner rotson as the established starter because he already knew the system knew the players all this you have peter costelli who transferred in as a four star yeah. from utah and then you had Jared Dagey coming in, being the active leading passer in yards and, I believe, touchdowns. Um, then you got the running backs, D.K. Billingsley, Kamani Vidal. Um, Lord, my teacher brain has just stopped. So we've got four major running backs, and they're all fantastic. As much as the offense is ticking right now for the Trojans, that defense is legit. And, and it really <laughs> doesn't get any better than your freebie player of, of Carlton Marshall. I mean, the guys they walk on and, and is very likely going to be the all-time leading tackler in NCAA history. Mm-hmm. Um, Carlton has been a lot of fun to watch. Um, I, because I started in 01, I didn't really understand a lot because I was still kind of coming in a moment of learning the game and learning what to look for. But I knew who DeMarcus Ware was. And I got to watch him a lot during that last year in 04. And, you know, he's phenomenal to watch. I've been saying all year that by the time that this year is over, Carlton Marshall will be the greatest defensive player to have ever played at Troy University. 
I get that a lot of people will put DeMarcus over him because of what he did in the NFL, but I'm basing it solely off of college. He'll be the best person to have ever suited up on that defense. Um, and I, he could make a play for being the best Trojan ever because he's put in so much work from coming in, like you said, as a walk-on to becoming a multi-time All-American, multi-time preseason All-American, you know, all these accolades. And now he's on pace as long as he gets, um, I think I did the math the other day, I think it's like 7 point or 8.4 carries, or sorry, tackles a game, then he'll be the tackle leader by the end of the season. And that's just regular season, not including championship or potential championship game or a bowl. Listen, Ben, hey, that's nice, but you're acting like Jordan Chun never existed. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to argue against Mega Chun. I'm still, <laughs> honestly, I am still a little bit mad that they did not give him a couple of more carries in the LSU game because Josh Anderson got at least one touchdown in that. And because Jordan Chun was like, I think he ended up one or two touchdowns short of the Sun Belt record for touchdowns from a running back. And and honestly, as much as I did love Jordan Chun, he's not even the best you know Troy running back I've ever seen. Um, I think that would probably go to um, Dewitt Betterson way back in the early two thousands. Yeah, but th- it's much more fun to say Mega Chun. Oh, you are completely correct. He's definitely <laughs> got the best nickname. Yeah, the Brandon um, that I've. I've been around. No, that would have been linebacker Bear Woods. <laughs> yeah, Bear Woods. Okay, did. yeah. Bear, I cannot ever argue with him. That man had so much heart and was such a nice guy. Um, you know, I interacted with him a few times, and he was just always great. Um, my wife, actually, was, we were dating at the time. She happened to be serving him at Santa Fe in Troy, and she just walked up and was like, hey, my husband is like obsessed with Troy. Can you just sign this hat? And he's like, sure. So I have this hat hanging in my classroom. It just says bear 48. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So ben, we're at the halfway point of the season. Yeah. Troy mm-hmm. sits three and two, one and one in Sunbelt conference. Is this kind of where you expected to be at the halfway point of the season? Or is this kind of playing above uh, the expectations? Well, it's like, kind of like I was saying earlier, I, we're about a game above where I thought we would be. Technically, too, like I was saying with the app loss, um, now we're getting to the part of the schedule that I think is manageable. Really, when you look at it, we have Louisiana that we've got to play. Arkansas State has been kind of resurgent. Uh, I'll throw that one to you, Jeremy. Thanks. I appreciate Uh, it. It's my one nice thing I'll say about them. But then, you know, we have an Army team that's coming up. I'm not sure how they're going to be. I mean, if they lost to Georgia State, then who knows? Um, we might hang 50 on them. But um, then you've got uh, – I doubt we'll hang 50 on them. That's just me talking. <laughs> but then I still don't know how to process a good South team. And that's not just me like in a rivalry sense talking about it. I just – I don't understand it. They've not been good in the entire time they've been in the Sun Belt. Um, I think I was looking at their record. They haven't had a winning season since like – it was like their first or second, so like 2010 or 2011. Um, so it, it's hard to process that they're actually good. You know, um, and I know Alabama, yeah, before we go, I always thought South Alabama was just one of those teams that was waiting to be good 
out being yeah. out there in Mobile, Alabama, having mm-hmm. so many so access to so much good talent. You know, they built the brand new stadium. They got Kane Womack to come in. It seemed like a matter of time to me. Yeah, uh, and I think what they needed was was Kane Womack. Um, you know, Joey Jones did a great job of solidifying the foundation. Um, I thought Steve Campbell was going to do a good job there, but you know, everything I've heard is he's pretty much a um, my way or the highway type of guy. So that didn't really work out for them, but I think Kane Womack is, is good. Um, I think they are going to enjoy him until he takes the Indiana job. But <laughs> that's, I, true. I, uh, that's absolutely right. <laughs> which I mean, I'll, I'll even say, um, you know, I was kind of joking around with somebody. I was like, yeah, you know, best case scenario for weird things happening. I was like, you know, Neil Brown will get fired at West Virginia. Um, John Summerall will take us 10 and two. Mark Stoops will go like undefeated or lose one at Kentucky and he'll get a better job. And then John Summerall will get at Kentucky and we'll just have Mel Brown again. I was like, that would just be the wild carousel. But I do think that the only way, or not only, but one of the only ways we'd lose Summerall quickly is if something happened at Kentucky because he would definitely go home there. Well, let's talk about John Summerall a little bit. You, you know, he came in, I didn't know much about Tibbs. Did you know much about John Summerall before he got hired? Uh, just that uh, he was a Kentucky assistant. Yeah, and, and t- quite frankly, you know, he, he was hired. It was like a week later before I even noticed. It was like so under the radar. Was I, I can't remember that it happened during the season at some point or just after. No, it was January, I think it was. Okay, because I just also I was like, oh, wait, they got a new coach. I should know mm-hmm. this. And uh, we met him at uh, Sunbelt Media Days. Real nice guy. Uh, mm-hmm. But of course, we didn't know anything whether if you would connect with with, with uh, the Trojan faithful or not. Uh, we certainly uh, didn't know if he would live up to the Neil Brown standard. Uh, <laughs> what do you guys think of John? I would, and I've never met him personally. Like uh, I would love to. Um, all I've heard is nice things about him. Um, he was for a large contingent of people their first choice when we hired Chip Lindsay. Um, there were some others like Thomas who were kind of like, not yet. Let's get him later. Give him a little bit more time to learn, do things like that. But um, yeah, I'd run through a brick wall for John Summerall at this point. And you've never met him. <laughs> that tells you everything right there. Ben, um, do not um, run through a brick wall until you've at least shaken the man's hand. It's the Trojan wall. It is oh, the Trojan well, wall. Yeah, okay. And that, now it all makes sense. <laughs> it all comes together. All comes together. So yeah, ben, um, later on, we we have a conversation with the executive director of the Nola Bowl. It's a place Troy's been. The three and one record in there. Mm-hmm. What what's been the, the thoughts there of trying to get back to that that uh, that game? Because usually, if you're in New Orleans, you know you're over six wins. You're usually the Sun Belt Conference champion or runner up, and you know you're right there at the cusp. Is, is that still kind of the goal to, to get to New Orleans? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, for Troy, it's all about winning championships. You know, we've we've been kind of in a lull, especially if you look at our history. Um, you know, we've had a couple of periods where, and this is me really nerding out, you know, aside from a little bit in the 30s, a couple in the 40s, we didn't really have much until the 60s. We won a few championships there, national and um, conference. Not much in the 70s, but then the 80s just, you know, it was like fire got lit under us. So we're winning conference and national championships there, conference championships through the 90s. 
Should have had a national championship. We still do not talk about the interception in 95 against Georgia Southern. Um, but then same thing. We just kind of carried that into the 2000s. But after Blakeney um, kind of started going downhill in those last three seasons, we had the one championship with Neil Brown, and then that kind of went away, and everything he built just about got torn apart with Chip Lindsey. So I think we're getting to that point where, yeah, the New Orleans Bowl is is definitely on that radar because that signifies that we've, you know, we've done our goals for the season, get to that Sunbelt Championship. Um, you know, I personally would love for us to host it because I'd love to be able to go. But, um, yeah, I, I think getting to the Sunbelt Championship game and winning it preferably and getting back to New Orleans, definitely. We would love that. Um, you know, I still have very bad memories, which works because that's who we're playing this week of that. Um, I call it the condiment game from 2008, which is when Troy was decked out in all Cardinal and Southern Miss was decked out in basically all gold. Are we going to see and that so again? Just, do what now? Are we going to see that again? I doubt it, but I would oh. love it. There's the, <laughs> there's the part of me that like follows uniform stuff, and I try and keep up with what the opponents have done and what we've done to kind of figure out what we might wear. And I don't want to see it, but then there's that crazy part of my brain that's like, do it. It's got to happen. Do it. Yeah, because that's a tasty combo. But speaking of Southern Miss, that's what you guys have up next. Mm-hmm. Southern Miss, kind of surprising. You know, they, they under Will Hall, a fellow first-year head coach with Will Hall, uh, not a whole lot of expectations considering how poorly Southern Miss did last season. They get the big win against Tulane. Uh, they 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 they've done very well so far. With was it Frank Gore Tibbs? Is yeah. it Frank Gore Frank Jr. Gore Jr. Frank Gore Jr. Yeah, we we thought maybe their only offensive weapon. I believe last season they scrolled through about a hundred different quarterbacks. They see maybe to be settling on one or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one guy's hurt right now, so that might help things out. They were even a, you know, I think we all thought that Troy and I, I actually picked South Alabama and Troy to come in one two in the in the uh, in the West. Didn't expect much from Southern Miss. I know it's early. Are we seeing a mirage in Hattiesburg, or is Southern Miss really ready to compete? I mean, from all in all the the signals that are coming out, I think they are ready to compete. Um, I think what's going to surprise everybody is. Everybody is so focused on the East and how stacked the East is, but they're looking at it from right now. I think what we're going to see two to three years from now is that West is going to be just as stacked because you do have Kane Womack, you have John Summerall, you've got Will Hall, and they're building three really good programs that are right there. Um, you know, Thomas came up with the, the Delta of hate to talk about that three-pronged uh, rivalry that we have now. And, um, you know, with that, I think it's going to be something that you're going to have to watch. Um, and so now I'm really paying more attention to Southern Miss, a lot more than I was, you know, even three weeks ago. Sure. Because that, that win against Tulane did kind of make my ears stand up. You know, what's going on here? Um, so they, they do seem a lot better than I expected them to be. Uh, I cannot remember that quarterback's name, but um, I was here and he's just been doing really, really well. And it's kind of... Uh, kind of accounted for himself a lot better than they were expecting this quickly. Wilkie. Wilkie, okay, yes. Yeah, we, we got corrected on that, Jeremy. Whenever – I mean, don't get me wrong, it's still a better name when you say Wiki. 
but it is <laughs> that's right. We did get corrected. I remember that yeah. for a DM that we got. Quite honestly, we get corrected all the time, and and I mean, so because our our statistics aren't very good. That, that that's why we have to have the DMs open because that's like our reality check of oh yeah that is right yeah we were way off base. Yeah, I, I do the same thing with my kids at my school because now they have Chromebooks and so I'll say something and they'll be like oh wait especially with my mythology class I have they're like oh didn't so and so do this yep probably <laughs> why don't yep. you look it up <laughs> hey Ben who do you, what grade do you teach I have all of them actually 9 through 12 oh my so, god <laughs> yeah this year is crazy because I've got um, a mythology class and a geography class which are brand new so I'm making everything so are, you, world. Are, are we do, still doing Edith Wharton's mythology? Edith Hamilton's? Hamilton, thank you. Not Wharton. Yeah. That's another that person. Exactly what I'm basing my class off of because that's the one I know. Uh, I love Edith Hamilton's mythology. It was good stuff. You know, uh, we had to dress up as our favorite Greek god in mm -hmm. our English class. And, like we did, and we had to pretend we were that god for like the whole class. And I was Hercules because it was easy to do, right? You just wear some yeah. sweatpants and sweatshirt and you stuff socks in yourself <laughs> and you're Hercules. But that was a lot of fun. Yeah, you should do that with your students. We're seniors. We love doing it. Mm. It was a lot of fun. See, so, Jeremy, I, I would have dressed up as Vulcan. That way I could show my ass to everyone. Uh, Vulcan? Now, that's do, the Roman we god. Do not have to, we do not, not have to Greek talk god. about that. <laughs> ben, thanks for having come on the show. I know your time's valuable. It's called the Trojan Wall. Yes, and it's Trojan Wall. You and Tom Gleeson, right? Thomas Gleeson, yes. Yes, Tom Gleeson, whom we've had on the show. He talked about Southern Mist. So are you guys like fist fighting? No, no. He um, he was working in Mississippi at the time. Yeah. So now we're just not talking about Scott Rockins because he's over there. But uh, we do appreciate you having on the show. Best of luck against Southern Miss. It's going to reveal a lot about Southern Miss and about Troy. Actually, I guess all these games, these this week mm -hmm. six slate is going to expose a lot of stuff. So uh, I guess we'll see you on the other side. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Jeremy, we, we all know that week three of Sunbelt Conference was absolute crazy. It was. It was insane. But week four uh -huh. had the opportunity slip away oh, i don't even like to think about it and, and i can't even think about it because it hurt me because as i said i was driving to the rice stadium for that cajuns game against the owls yes the only channel that had the game was the ucla call yeah oh and to hear their jubilation and know that our next guest was the complete opposite of jubilation crying Tears. Yeah. JT Crabtree, the voice of your, Jeremy, as you say it, Jaggy Wires. Oh, I didn't try to pronounce it anymore. Hello, JT. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, Jaggy Wires is the new one. I've heard Jag Wires and, of course, Jaguars, but Jaggy Wires? I like is that. It, That's not bad. It's, it's, well, it's the Arkansas speak in him. I, I try my best to make it work. I just say Jags now. I mean, yeah, that's, that's what we say too. So you're good. <laughs> it's like when somebody uh, corrects you for saying nuclear or nuclear or whatever, and then you, you just feel you don't feel intelligent. So I'm just going with Jags and nuclear. <laughs> there you go. That'll work. <laughs> so we were just talking to Ben Whitehead, 
who is a citizen of Troy. And uh, we're talking a little bit about the rivalry between South Alabama and Troy. But we're also talking about how Troy and South Alabama appear to be on a collision course to dominating the Sun Belt West. Is that what we're going to see, JT? I think that's where we're headed, man. Uh, you know, we've got that Thursday night matchup, the battle for the belt. That's uh, going to be a lot of fun, I think. If if the next couple of games, next couple of weeks play out like they should on paper, um, that, that Thursday night matchup on ESPNU might uh, – might be pretty darn exciting. It, it's usually a pretty good game, um, but man, we're—I know we're expecting a huge crowd at our still new stadium, and that Thursday game is probably going to be the largest crowd we've ever had, if not sold out. Which is we're—we're we're not far from selling that game out, so that should be a lot of fun. You know what's funny too is that that game—it's it, always been intriguing for the rivalry, but never really meant much. But it's going to mean a lot this time. So I guess that's what's driving the sellout. That's driving the excitement. What What do you think about Troy and Gunnar Watson and, and John and them kind of coming out of the ooze? Yeah, I'm really impressed with what how quickly Summerall has turned the program kind of more into what I think of when I think of Troy football. I think they kind of lost their way a little bit under Chip Lindsey. And steered away a little bit from that kind of blue-collar, hard-nosed culture that Troy had really become known as under, of course, Larry Blakeney, but then Neil Brown continued with that high-powered offense. But now high-powered defense with Troy now, I think it, it fits their culture a little bit better with Summerall coming back there. I've been impressed, man. Uh, really, and it, you know, I hear the name Carlton Marshall all the time, and I feel, I feel two things. One, how is he still there? And if he's still there for that long, he's got to have DR in front of his name because he's got to be a doctor at this point, right? <laughs> but the other, the other thing. His yeah. freshman year was 1989. So that tells you how long he's been there. Yeah, it feels like it. And the, the other thing I feel too is when you look at the kid's bio and it says Mobile, Alabama, you know, McGill Tool in high school, and that's been our pipeline for guys. You know, of course, Jalen Tolbert went there. Obviously, Mobile, being a, a kid right in our backyard, that we showed no interest in recruiting, and he's now going to go down as potentially one of the best of all time. Yeah, and, you know, he's, I think, 70-something tackles or something like that from breaking the NCAA record. But enough about the yeah. Trojans. We're, we're, we're ready to talk Jags with you. I like it. Let's do it. Four and one this season. Is this finally the year that the Jags are the legit West contenders? It, it's looking like, it. you know, I, I'm a little apprehensive because everyone keeps saying, hey, you know, you guys might be onto something. And while I agree, we've never been in this situation before. You know, we're, we're still really young as a program starting in 09. But we haven't had a winning record as an FBS program since moving up in 13. You know, we've had Two bowl appearances, but we've lost them both. So we finished six and seven both years. That's the best we've done. We're off to our best start as an FBS program in the program's history. And, you know, I, I've been here since the beginning. Uh, my freshman year at South was actually the first year of football. So I've seen every year of Jags football. And I, it not scared's not the right word, but I think about the place we are and where we're heading right now. 
it's incredibly exciting, but it's almost like, I don't know how to handle this because we've never been in this spot before. And, you know, we never beat the cages before. We did it this past weekend. And I found myself off air, muting my mic, turning back to the back of the booth and just screaming like I was, you know, the, the nature boy back there, just, woo, woo, because we, we haven't been in that spot before. And so I think that's what's most exciting about where we are right now is four and one. The one loss is by one point to a power five in a crazy game. I, we're in a great spot, obviously. And I'm just really excited about what is to come because you look at the rest of the schedule, it lines up pretty well for us down the stretch. So I keep trying to, I keep catching myself trying not to look too far down the road, but it's hard not to when we've played as well as we have so far. All right, JT, but put those pistols back in the holster. What the hell happened at UCLA? No, you owe us an explanation, <laughs> man. I told everybody that you guys were going to beat UCLA outright. I had five bucks on that game, man. <laughs> what happened? Man, I wish we could help you out because <laughs> we, 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 we beat those guys in every category except the final score. And I understand not thinking that a field goal was good enough. I, I understand that thinking, thinking that you've got to extend the drive, either burn out the clock or punch it in the end zone to seal that game. I get it. And Kane will tell you himself, and he, he has already, I would have liked to have seen, if we're going to go for that situation, what can the offense do with just your normal guys out there on the field? That's what I would have preferred. I had no problem sending the field goal unit out to kick a field goal. I, that was no problem for me. It was just when we go out there, set up the fake, and immediately I saw it because I saw that it was not Jack Brooks holding, it's Tanner McGee. And so immediately it's, why is he out there? He hasn't held in three years. Then we split in the formation, and it's like, oh, God, we've never done this before. What is happening to, oh, my gosh, the, the world is collapsing right now. I, I mean, yes, our defense had played well. Yes, we still had the opportunity to get a stop. And, yes, they still had to kick and make the field goal or get in the end zone. But we, I mean, it was just such a gut punch to have that opportunity right there and to have something unusual like that kind of end up being the determining factor of the ballgame. That hurts, man. That really hurts. So, y'all have my favorite head coach of the conference there, the governor, Kane Womack. What has he really brought to the table in year two that maybe y'all didn't see in his first uh, – First year, last year. Man, so I knew Kane very well his first time around when he was defensive coordinator. And I loved just being around the guy. He was just infectious. You know, a lot of times around football coaches, there's kind of a, an aura around them of, you know, oh, he's, he's the football coach, holier than thou kind of deal. I could easily walk into any bar, see Kane Womack, and hang out and talk about anything except football. I mean, he's that genuine of a guy. And for, for Jag fans, this will make sense. We saw something this past weekend at Lafayette that we hadn't seen since he took over as head coach, which was the hat turned around backwards on Kane Womack on the sideline. That was his kind of look 
as the defensive coordinator, and he flipped the hat back around on the sideline this weekend, so you knew he meant business. But, I mean, that guy is perfect for us. He, he wants to be here. He has a genuine dream of where he wants this program to go. The story that I think about all the time with Kane is when he knew their time was, was done there, the first go-around, he had accepted the job at Indiana. He said it was like his last week in Mobile. He knew that the future plans for our on-campus football stadium were going to be at the intramural fields. So he took time, walked out to the intramural fields. He said, I just laid down in the grass out there and just, vis- just visualized and dreamed what it would mean to be the head football coach at that location, coaching that team at an on-campus football stadium. You know, and so I don't know if anyone else could have that same dream coming into it. You know, it, it was a unique spot because he'd been here before, obviously, but it was, it's such a cool thing for us to have a coach. It's for someone like me, too, who's a South alum and a Mobile native, to hear that your coach is so bought into the program, so bought into the city that this is where he wants to be. For as long as it can be, you know, are we going to keep him forever? No. You know, if all things, if everything goes right, no, we're not going to keep him forever. So I, I'm really excited about where he is. I think we're a little ahead of schedule right now because we saw some flashes of it last year, but to see immediately that year two is starting the way it has, I, I'm just over the moon for what we've got with, from Kane so far. Well, first of all, JT, it sounds to me that you bes- – a little passively aggressive, aggressively besmirched Lad Peoples. And I won't have that on my show. Lad Peoples is my favorite stadium. I love it. It's full of asbestos. It's full of mold. It's full of great memories. It's full of history. It has like a table that sells uh, premium spirits during bowl games. I love it. I spent four consecutive seasons at Lad Peoples uh, for the uh, Go Daddy Bowl back oh, in the right. So I, I do love Lad Peoples, but your new stadium is beautiful and it is is quite the visual improvement. I'm just gonna you said you have, you have already kind of looked ahead and you see this clear path. Who do you see ahead besides Troy, uh, obviously, that you think might pre- present a stumbling block to South Alabama's road to the championship game? Well, it's interesting because we've got a couple of games on the docket that you know for us the Louisiana game represented revenge for us. And I think we've got a couple of games on the docket moving ahead that represent revenge for opponents. You, know, you look at what we did to Arkansas State the last three years. You know, yeah, we really aggravated with that. Yeah, we've we've had Arkansas State's number for some reason. I know. And so I, I think you know that coupled with what happened last year with Butch Jones being there and his connection to the the interest of the job of South Alabama and then the the major Applewhite connection where it looked like he was going to Jonesboro, then he wasn't. Now he's with us. Uh, there, there's a lot of storylines there. So I'm curious how that game will play out. And Arkansas state is obviously very much improved from last season, Georgia Southern game. That's same deal. We embarrassed Georgia Southern last year and they're completely different. That's they're a different completely team. Different <laughs> completely different. They passed the ball. I didn't know it was allowed in Statesboro. It is. <laughs> but that's, that's a game that I think could be could be interesting. And then the Southern Miss game, especially, with them now joining the league. And we opened with them the last two seasons. And we took them to the woodshed in both games. And probably, especially the first matchup in Hattiesburg, 
we probably had no business competing with them. And then we go out and beat them, and then they fire Jay Hobson the next day. Ah, that's what happens when uh, South Alabama beats you. You got to fire the coach. Apparently. <laughs> so, so those are – those are the, sorry, I'm getting over the crud a little bit, so laughing is almost tortured at times. Um, those are the three games that I see that are, that are going to be interesting for us. They're all on the road. You know, we've been great at home. But outside of the Troy game, I really think the Arkansas State, Georgia Southern – and the Southern Miss matchups are really going to be interesting down the stretch. So enough with the gridiron. We want to know what is Coach Ritchie going to have on the hardwood, and will he break our hearts again? Because we were like, all right, South wins, so now, you know, who, who's getting second, who's getting third? Oh, you guys disappointed us so bad. So bad. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're not alone in that, man. You're going over to Pensacola and doing what we – didn't do last year was, was to to put it frankly it sucked man yeah I mean just the talent we had and yes you know we had the injury with JJ Chandler down the stretch but that had been us all year you know we've been playing hurt all year and we still found ways to win and so the way last year ended sucked I know they've got a bad taste in their mouth but they've got a completely new team over there you know I've gone over to practice a couple of times and I'm still looking and I'm like I don't know who these guys are I don't know who that guy is Who's this guy? Oh, he's in from St. Mary's. When did he get here? Last week? Oh, okay. It, it's still a little bit of figuring out. And now I, I've seen them a good bunch. I talked with Coach yesterday. The style of play is completely different. They're a much more shooter-heavy team. But the, the big thing that they're going to key on this year, and he's going he's gonna to grab a lot of headlines, is the big man we got from Florida Gulf Coast, Kevin Samuel. He's – TCU's all-time leader in blocks. How he went from TCU to Florida Gulf Coast now to us, I'm not sure the story of his basketball career so far, but he's six foot 11, 240. He's a genuine big man. He was a son defensive player of the year last year at Gulf Coast. He's the real deal. And, you know, with North Shadow Mirror gone from Arkansas State, Samuel has an opportunity to, to come in and immediately be the best big man in the conference, uh, the, the roster as a whole this year, where in the past, you know, we've seen Richie really dip heavy into the transfer portal, get some guys from power five that are looking for an opportunity this year. They kind of went the opposite spectrum where they went transfer heavy, but they went D two. They went and got D two all Americans guys looking to prove themselves. Owen white is a, a two time all American at Michigan tech. Isaiah Moore was an all American at Franklin Pierce. Uh, you mix in some different guys like Tyrell Jones, Turbo Jones from Auburn, who was there last year. He's finally healthy, and so we'll, I think we'll actually finally see a full season of Turbo Jones. You know, Dante Smith is back. But outside of that, the big key for them is going to be the guy that we missed all of last year that was supposed to be the X-Factor, and that's Greg Perham. He was a VMI transfer. He was all-conference at VMI. He was phenomenal average 18 points per game shot near 40 percent on threes he was the real deal and didn't play a minute for us because he had a stress fracture in his back all last year so he's healthy he's good to go he's practiced they did an international trip this year went down to the bahamas so they got the extra practice time got some extra games mixed in there so uh they're, they're optimistic you know, for me as a broadcaster especially i don't really know what we're getting come uh november uh, 10th i think is when we start uh, so 
I'm really curious to see what we've got, but I know the coaching staff is very excited about the new guys that they've got on campus right now. So we talked to ULM head coach Keith Richard last week, and we've talked to Jay Walker, voice of the, the Raging Cajuns. Home schedules in the Sun Belt just suck. <laughs> it's so hard to schedule. Oh, man. But looking at the Jags schedule, y'all did the impossible and got the big boy to come to town when the tide will roll in to the Mitchell Center in early November. How did that game come about, and, and how big is that game, especially for the non-conference slate? It's massive. It is our marquee game, and it's been on the docket for three years now, I believe. Uh, this is after we got Auburn to come to us for as part of a two-for-one in, oh gosh, 2019, I believe. And we sold out the Mitchell Center. We had over 10,000 in there. That place was, I, I've never felt that place anywhere close to the energy. It was a, it was an SEC atmosphere. Bruce Pearl said after the game, we're going to play in two places tougher than that all year. in Rupp Arena and Coleman Coliseum when we play Kentucky and Alabama. But playing in the Mitchell Center tonight was the hardest we will see outside of the conference schedule. We're probably going to see the same when Alabama comes down November 15th. It's a two-for-one. We went to them last year. Coming to us this year, we'll go back to them next year or the year after. I mean, that, that's the marquee game. That, that is the game. It is the talk of the town right now. Um, it should sell out again. You know, Alabama, they lost a couple of guys via draft and portal, but it's Alabama. You know, it's like you said, it's the big boys in the state, and that's going to carry a ton of weight. Um, we had a huge drawing for the Auburn game because they were fresh off the Final Four appearance. So everyone wanted to see them coming into town. I, I, I can't wait to see what happens. We, we played Auburn down to the wire when they came to us. We were winning with 1.8 seconds left. And uh, I can't remember the kid's name. He's now at the, the Cleveland Cavaliers. He hit a layup with – we were up by one and hit a layup with 1.8 seconds left, hit the free throw. And that was it. They beat us by two. That We stormed back, I think, with two minutes left. We went on an 11-0 run and took the lead. And the place was so loud, my headset was not picking up what I was talking about right in front of my mouth. It was incredible. And so I'm expecting something similar to that. We, you know, we played Alabama last year, played them close, I think lost by eight at their place. And that was without a point guard. That was our first game after Turbo Jones had broken his foot at Wichita State a couple of days before. So as long as we're healthy, which hopefully we are that early in the season, uh, you know, I think we got a great shot. I think it's awesome what they've done to get Alabama coming to us, scheduling New Mexico. It's a great team to start the season, going to them, going to Oklahoma, which will be a great test as well, and renewing our rivalry with UAB in basketball. My gosh, in the 80s, that was the basketball matchup of the Sunbelt Conference with uh, Ronnie Arrow and Cliff Bellis versus Gene Bartow. Those games were awesome. And we're getting that series started back. So that's really cool to see. Yeah. It's it's always exciting when UAB got together with South Alabama. I remember many of those games going up to Bartow Coliseum or the BJCC to, to watch those games. JT, we thank you so much for joining us. Looking forward to seeing how the Jaggy Wires are down the stretch as as we uh, you know cheer on for the governor. Man, we we want to see that championship uh, bling for him and, and and see that game in Mobile. 
Absolutely, man. Thanks so much for having me on. I, I love what you guys do. I, I listen all the time. And so when I got the, the DM Saturday to, to ask me to, to come on, I was like, heck yes, it's my time. Let's go. <laughs> I'm really going to be a star. That's how you know you made it. <laughs> That's right. I have made it now. I'm on the Fun Golf Podcast. Let's go. If there's one bowl that Sunbelt Conference teams always want to make it to, it's New Orleans Bowl, because that typically means that you had a great year. You're over six wins, and chances are you're a Sunbelt Conference champion. Joining us now on Funbelt Podcast, the executive director of the New Orleans Bowl, Billy Frante joins us to talk everything Big Easy and the New Orleans Bowl. Welcome in there, Billy. Thank you. Glad to be here. So it started back in 2001. I know you've been with the, with the game since the inception. How did the game kind of come about with Commissioner Wright Waters? Yeah, well, so a little bit of background. I came over to the Greater New Orleans Sports Foundation uh, after 12 years with the New Orleans Saints in their uh, marketing and sales department. And it was uh, immediately apparent to me that uh, there was not a lot of local uh, knowledge about who exactly the Sports Foundation was and what we did. And there was a couple of steps that we took to address that. And one of the one of the things that we felt like would be important for us is that there needs to be an event that we own. This was around 1998. Uh, in 1999, latter part of 99, right, you know, the Sunbelt Conference offices were headquarters and still are headquartered here in New Orleans. And Wright called us and said, uh, we're it's it's when the Sun Belt started playing as a conference. I think their football members all played independent. He was for organizing them as a conference, and Wright said, "I need a, a a bowl game for my champion to be bound to. Are you guys interested?" And we felt like that was a perfect fit for that event that the Sports Foundation owned. First game was in two thousand one. Uh, we actually, the Sports Foundation, were right in the middle of hosting the Super Bowl in February of 2000 or January of 2002. And so the first game was actually co-managed between ourselves and the Sun Belt. And that was the understanding was that it would it would happen that way because of our role with Super Bowl. And uh, and and it went off fine. And, and since then, the Sports Foundation has managed the game exclusively. And here we are 22 years later. Obviously, one of the biggest challenges of that game, as we were talking about off air before we jumped on here, the coordination with the Saints. How big is it to kind of be the conductor of the orchestra there when you, you have the Pelicans right there, you have the Saints there contending? There's times where, uh, you know, there might be a Final Four where it just takes some resources away. How big is it to kind of get everybody on the same page for that New Orleans Bowl to go off? Well, it's, you know, it's a lot of communication between myself and the, the management of the, of the Superdome. And, you know, we have kind of bounced around in the early years. We were on a Tuesday night kind of outside, really, of the bowl window. There was our game, and then there was about a week uh, break, and then all the rest of the bowl games played. Uh, we ended up getting moved back in the calendar into the start of the bowl season uh, and traditionally have been on that Saturday night before Christmas and the stadium normally does a good job of, of, of holding that weekend for us. But we can't get our exact date and time until the, the Saints schedule comes out. Uh, 
so obviously we in coordination with ESPN that broadcast most of the bowl games, uh, you know, lay out for them. Once we both take a look at what the, what the Saints schedule is, uh, if they're home the day after us, then it kind of dictates more than anything, not the date, but the time that we play. It's a little difficult for us to play that primetime Saturday night game. And then the Saints host a game at, at noon the following day. So if they, and if you look back at our history, you'll see that we've had some games on Saturday, but they've been, we actually had a game at 10 a.m. We've had some 11 a.m. games, and that's due to the fact that the Saints have had a game the following, uh, the next day in the stadium. Uh, So it's really just, again, that constant communication between ourselves, the Superdome, ESPN, and making sure that, you know, that that preferred date for us is, is held. Has there ever been discussion to move it over to uh, Tulane Stadium to make it kind of like the Boca Bowl where it's on the campus of FAU? Yeah, I mean, there's been conversation, uh, you know, from Tulane to us about if that's something that we'd ever be interested in. But really, you know, we look, we, we go through great uh, links to make sure that the experience for those kids playing in our bowl game is the best one they can possibly have. And while it costs us significantly more money uh, to play the game in the Superdome, we feel like that that's a big component of that experience for those kids. And so we're, we have been reluctant to make that move for that reason. Just the, you know, the, the, the Superdome, I think it's an icon in, in sports facilities. And that's, again, that's a priority of ours is to create that experience. I always like to, like to make sure that I'm in the stadium on the field when the two teams get in there for the first time, because it's, you know, a lot of those kids don't play in stadiums like that. And when they do, and you see the look on their faces and their eyes, and they're all taking pictures and selfies, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's gratifying to us uh, that we're starting off that experience for them that way. 21 years. Whenever kind of that, that early December rolls around and you get ready for this 21st game, how do you start narrowing the field down to know who's going to be in that New Orleans Bowl? Yeah, our, our selection process has, has, has morphed over the years. Uh, obviously, there was a time when we were the only bowl partner that the Sun Belt had, and we took their champion. And uh, that was the case for a number of years, but as they – added to their bowl inventory a number of partnerships, we have, uh, we've remained at or near the top of the, uh, of the, of the pecking order. And uh, so the last probably, I say 10 years, uh, you know, that the conversation, it'll probably start in about a week or two where we'll start having regular conversation with the conference, both conferences, Sunbelt and Conference USA about who we're looking at, because, you know, what's, what's important for the Sun Belt is to have an idea of where we are trending in the, in the selection process so they can start making arrangements and plans for their other bowl partners and their bowl eligible teams. And, um, you know, we've, we've got a great relationship with uh, Commissioner Gill, with the entire staff of the, of the Sun Belt. And, uh, you know, it's, it's worked out very well. Now ESPN, uh, who owns, I want to say it's 14 bowl games, uh, is basically the other bowl partner of the Sunbelt. And so they're now part of that mix and part of that, that conversation about, you know, what are they looking at? How are they trying to fill their bowl spots and, and who out of the Sunbelt are they interested in? 
And, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's a mutual agreement. That's what we all feel is best for not, a, not just our game, but for every other member of the Sunbelt that's bowl eligible and, and what their potential destinations are. Does, does the regional schools kind of play into that, knowing that you've hosted Louisiana Lafayette, I think it's six times in the bowl games history. Do they, you know, a South Alabama, Southern Miss, maybe get a little bit better of a chance to go to New Orleans than, say, well, App State? Well, I mean, you know, we've had App State several times. And, and there's, you know, there's a number of factors that are important to us and that are important to the conference. And, you know, it starts with, okay, what might the matchup be? Not just who is the Sun Belt team, but who's the team on the opposite side? Uh, regionality is very important. It's important to every bowl game. Uh, and for obvious reasons, you know, it makes it's easier travel. It's easier for fans to get there. It's less expensive for the team to get there. Um, and uh, but, you know, that again, I always equate it to it's like putting a, a puzzle together. There's there's, you know, not a whole lot of pieces, uh, but some years some pieces are bigger than others. And, you know, is regionality this year a little bit maybe more important? Uh, you know, what's the record of the team that it looks like we're going to have and and what are the potential opponents and all that. So, you know, that those conversations, again, those components are part of every conversation that we have with both conferences office as we kind of work through that process. What's the typical swag bag look like that I get when I, when I show up to the new Orleans bowl, uh, if you're a player or a media member, <laughs> yes, both. I, I, I will, I will flip flop and, and throw on a Jersey if I have to. Yeah. Okay. We've, uh, we have done uh, for the last I probably 10 years, we've done gift suites are very popular now. Uh, we always, we like to give the kids something that's bowl branded. So we have given them a bowl watch. And then the gift suite is, is uh, you know, there's probably 40 to 50 different items that the kids can go in and select from. And they each get, say, 500 points. And each item is worth a number of points and they can pick what they want. And, you know, we found that to be real appealing. A lot of bowl games are, are going to that. We're actually taking a, a little step back this year. We're not doing the, the gift suite. We're going to give each kid a, a personalized pair of slides, uh, a pair of uh, it's bowl socks that go with the slides. And we're going to give each kid a, a branded Apple watch. We're excited about that. I mean, you know, you, ought, you want to give the kids what they want and, um, uh, you know, a, a bowl watch to me was not as appealing as maybe an Apple watch. And uh, I think they're going to really enjoy that this year. If you, if you need a beta tester for that, I'm, I'm open for that whole suite package. <laughs> okay. We'll keep that in mind. 21 years of the game. You've been there for them all. What's your biggest memory you've had of the New Orleans Bowl? From a single game perspective or just yeah. the game? I, I would say that, uh, that the – uh, first time that UL was in the game against San Diego State. Uh, it was the first time that we really had a crowd where we stood on the field in pregame and said, okay, this is what a bowl game is supposed to be like. Uh, and the game itself was a great game. I uh, don't know if you remember, UL kicked a field goal to win the game, to walk it off. Uh, the crowd went crazy. It was really just, it was a memorable uh, experience for us as the people putting on the bowl game, obviously for the fans of UL but, and the players, but for us, it was really memorable because it was really the first time, I guess, that, you know, as a bowl staff, that chills went down our spine. Brett Bear, for, etched in, in Sunbelt Conference history forever. My favorite memory, of course, FAU making the trip there. Howard Snellenberger. Yeah, that Weston was Smith, 
just Rusty Smith, I think, had like five touchdowns passed. And yep. then seeing the, the smile on Snellenberger's face that, that he had built the program and, and it, it reached the pinnacle. Yeah, Coach Snellenberger, what a great experience that was having him. Um, you know, I was almost a little intimidated uh, because of his reputation and who he is and what he had done and built in college football. He could not have been more genuine. He could not have been, uh, uh, you know, more accommodating to the bowl schedule and what things that we asked of them that week. To this day, he's the only head coach that has ever actually attended the, the production meeting the day prior to the game. He was very complimentary of the job that we do. And uh, it, it what a great experience with him. It's That's another one that I will forever remember is, is you know, not – FAU had a great team that year. Uh, but but more the experience and the time with him. And, and again – you know, his stature in college football and everything that he has done, that he was, uh, and and it just the the great man that I thought that the, and the time that we had with them that week. The unique thing that New Orleans Bowl used to do, MVP got a customized, awesome helmet. When is the helmet coming back? I don't know. Uh, the, uh, the, 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 there was, we liked that for a while. I think some of the, the kids liked it. We, we probably did that for three or four years. We had a local artist that, uh, that actually took a, a blank helmet shell and created a look that was specific to New Orleans and uh, incorporated the two team matchup. So it's something that he had to get done quickly because, you know, being one of the first games of the season, we've got a, about a two week turnaround between team selections and, and the game. And uh, he did a re- he did a great job with those. They were very popular. Uh, you know, we it's we're, we give consideration every year to what that MVP trophy looks like. We you know, right now we're doing a it's a basically it's a, a rec- replica of our championship trophy. It incorporates some of the elements of the championship trophy, which we really like as well. But you know, the the thought of something specific or unique to New Orleans is always kind of top of mind for us with that. New Orleans Bowl has been a great partner for the Sun Belt. How long do you see this partnership going out for? I it, we've got I think another couple of years on our agreement, and I will be uh, standing at the door with Keith Gill to extend it for as long as he wants to. Uh, Sunbelt, I really, I feel like that, you know, it's been a, a symbiotic relationship, whereas the Sunbelt has grown in to the position where they are now. And I, I don't say this because they're a bowl partner. I think they're the best group of five conference there is. I think they're the deepest, the most talented. I think their, their coaches are as good as any in the country. Um, but, you know, their rise to prominence has sort of, equated the rise of our game in our community and um you know that's that's a relationship that we have loved continue to love and will hopefully be a part of for a long time definitely looking forward to it i hate the games on wednesday it makes it hard for even us in the media to try to get down there to to watch the game if all else fell it'll definitely be on in my house i can guarantee you that well, good. Yeah, you know, with the Wednesday date's a little uh, atypical for us this year. And again, back to your earlier question about the scheduling, the uh, the Saints host the Atlanta Falcons that sat that Sunday as scheduled right now. But it is potentially, uh, I think it's potentially a flex game as determined by the NFL. So the weekend had to be held 
for the Saints for that game until it's determined when it's going to be played. But, you know, we've there's been some some initially we weren't really crazy about the Wednesday night, but the more we've looked at it and looked at the schedule uh, of the week and what we think it's going to mean, you know, on a Saturday night, we've always been up against uh, an NFL game. At that time of the year, the NFL's playing games on Saturday night. We've had to be, uh, we've had our kick time slid most years because of a previous bowl game. We're in on Wednesday. There's one football game Wednesday at any level, and that's the RL Carriers New Orleans Bowl. And, uh, you know, we're hoping that the, the television ratings reflect that. It's a little later in the calendar, it's December 21st. So school should be out. Um, so we're hoping that that. Uh, helps with travel of the of the fan bases and, and of, of the students from each of the two schools. We don't have to, we don't have to be neutral. We can call them the dirty birds also for that. For that okay. Billy, I thank you so much for coming by Fun Belt Podcast and talking New Orleans Bowl. Definitely looking forward to it this year and ready to see what the next 21 years of New Orleans Bowl holds for us. Well, I appreciate it. I'm available anytime and uh, hopefully we'll talk sooner than the next 21 years. Definitely. All right. Jeremy, we we talked championship game there, New Orleans Bowl. We, we, I'm I'm ready. And as as I told Billy, if, if I got a Donna jersey to get one of the, the swag bags, I'm I'm more than willing to do it. You could you could finally have the, the, the matching sandals that you've never had before. They're slides, sir. They are not sandals. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm not up with the jargon, so thanks for keeping me cool. You know what else is cool, Jeremy? I, no. Well, yes, but maybe you can enlighten me on something else that's cool. Second short. Oh, second and short. Yes. Are you ready for second and short? Yeah. No, you've got to be because we don't have uh, Shane Metlin tonight. He is he's out with some family business, so you, Dusty, have to carry second and short. Dusty, are you still there? Are you able to do this? I'm ready. One o'clock. It is the battle of who is GSU. No, 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 no. I started off. Okay, so sorry. And then you color commentary. I did not mean. That's how second and short works. I did not mean to shit the punch bowl. No, no, no. That's fine. It's just you know we've done it a couple times. I thought you knew the format, but that's okay, Tibbs. Not all of us are professionals. Some of us were born to be amateurs, and you apparently born in that pond. Anyway. First game that coming out of the gate for this Saturday is probably one of the most hateful games you're going to see all year long. Georgia Southern at Georgia State, 1 p.m. ESPN 3. What do you see coming out of that game? Maybe we got a glimpse this past week of what Georgia State is really like. If that's the Georgia State, I think they can pull off the win, especially with it being at home at Center Park Stadium. If that was a fluke and Army is maybe that bad, Eagles are going to fly with Van Trees getting the win in the rivalry game. You know, Van Trees looked pretty good against Coastal Carolina. I want to say he threw like three or four touchdowns against Coastal Carolina. Uh, you know, I, I was impressed with Georgia State's defense because Georgia State's defense has not looked good. Looked pretty good against Army. But then again, everybody's kind of looked good against Army. I know they got the kind of confidence boost after beating Army. It's, it's good. to. I mean, they went to Army. Don't get me wrong. They didn't play this in Atlanta. They they went up up to New York, 
at West Point and played this game, and that's a tough atmosphere. So kudos for Georgia State for finally coming out and, you know, getting off the snide. They were supposed to challenge Tibbs. They were supposed to be like this fly in the ointment for the Sun Belt East. Have they finally woken up? I don't know. I, I, I think this is the game where we see. You know, they've definitely disappointed up until this week or, or until they got that first win last week against Army. We really just got to kind of watch this game and see. Is this is this Georgia State team finally alive and, and ready to roll and compete in the East? Or is it too little too late? Meanwhile, Clay Helton has his Eagles leading and passing. Have you ever thought that you would see? No, no, I'm sorry. Troy's leading and passing. The Eagles are second. Georgia Southern second in, in the Sun Belt and passing. That is an incredible feat for a Georgia Southern team. Yeah, I didn't know that that was even an option. That the ball could leave the quarterback's hand overhand to a receiver downfield. I thought it was only leaving the quarterback's hand as a handoff or a pitch. Totally weird. Vegas says two and a half points for the Panthers. What do you say? I still like the Eagles. Uh, we know what the Eagles are. We know that they're a good team. It's just a matter of uh, are they facing the Georgia State team of old or what we expected to be the Panthers. So the next kickoff doesn't happen for another five hours after that Georgia Southern Georgia State uh, kickoff. It's James Madison. At Arkansas State, these two teams are facing each other for the very first time in their history. 6 p.m. on the NFL Network. So uh, kind of a strange uh, platform for a Sunbelt team to be. What do you expect to see out of that game, Tibbs? You know, I, I like James Madison. I think that they've proved that they can compete with the big boys. Yeah. But there's something about Jonesboro. You can't win if... Arkansas State didn't show up, you would still get an L in Jonesboro. I don't know what it is up there, but I would take Arkansas State, but I really like James Madison in this game. I believe James Madison comes into this game with the number one ranked defense in all of college football. I don't think I would have expected that at all coming into this game. In fact, I remember when it, when we, you and I were at Sunbelt Media Days, I had James Madison last. Not necessarily because I thought they were the worst team in the Sunbelt, simply because I didn't know what to expect from them. Would they have the speed, the size? Would they have depth? Turns out they do. <laughs> and it's kind of crazy. It's kind of nuts. And if you saw what they did to Texas State last week, that was a blowout. Yeah, it, it was not a fair fight. And, and, and I didn't even think they played that well. Because of the weather, and they still put up. What of course, was it, our and Shane, they didn't. Yeah, Shane Metlin, he, he he was DMing us, right? And he was saying, "No, they didn't play that good. I thought they played great." It was bad weather, so I mean, nobody can play great in bad weather. But yeah, meanwhile, Arkansas State, uh, yeah, they had that good one against ULM. Uh, they looked good, well balanced on every facet. They looked well balanced on offense, defense, special teams. And that was encouraging to see for Arkansas State. And you're right, Tibbs, they play really good at home uh, simply because home is home. They're very comfortable there. Butch Jones loves it there. Uh, it says 10 and a half for the Dukes. That's what Vegas says. What do you think? I can, I can see that being actually a one possession game, a, a, a three to seven point victory for the Red Wolves or the Dukes. Okay. Yeah. You know, uh, quite honestly, I'm just putting on my honesty pants, you know, taking off my, my red and my scarlet colored glasses. I think maybe the Dukes, just the way I've seen them, 
I think they might overcome that point spread. But I guess we'll see. Speaking of point spreads, this is the biggest point spread. Hold on. I, I want to circle back of why Ooh. also I should penalize the okay. Red Bulls. Okay. All right. How disappointing is it that Lang has a career night? <laughs> but has no clue who probably the best special teams player in Sunbelt Conference history is. So Johnny Lang, after the um, after the big uh, victory, he had a receiving touchdown, he had a rushing touchdown, and he had a kick return for a touchdown. Three ways for a touchdown. Hadn't been done in the Sunbelt since the days of T.Y. Hilton, 2010, against your Warhawks, which I thought was interesting. And when asked, hey, had you heard of T.Y., he's a, he's a well-known wide receiver for the Indianapolis Colts. Mentioned FIU legend. He said, no, I hadn't really heard of T.Y. Hilton. <laughs> the kids, they don't know. They don't know the history. For shame. All right. So speaking of, well, getting back to what I will say, speaking of big spreads, this is the biggest spread in all of Sunbelt Tibbs. Appalachian State at Texas State, 6 p.m. on ESPN+. Mountaineers come to San Marcos. What do you expect to see? What do you expect to see? And are you going to see it live? I will not see it live. I will be oh. headed to the friendly confines of Malone Stadium for homecoming. I, 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 I have a feeling there's a pretty big game going on there, too. But go on. I don't know what to think of this game. My gut actually tells me that the Bobcats somehow pull it out. But at the same time, you know I love Chase Bryce. You do. Peoples. Yeah. Nate Noel. Yeah. Sean Clark and everyone in between. And of course, it's a homecoming for Dammit McBride. (laughs) McBride is waiting for that chance, waiting for that moment. Waiting for that moment of excellence. So I think this is the Bobcats' chance to say, McBride, you should have stayed. Bobcats <laughs> win. Could be. I, I, You know what? I don't see that happening. I see Appalachian State really wiping the floor with Texas State. I just don't think Texas State is right for prime time. But I will tell you the one thread that these two teams have in common is that they have both been emotionally scarred by the Dukes. At the end of this game somebody is going to just be breaking down, screaming, I hate you, Dukes. It could be everybody in the stadium. I don't know. 19 points for the Mountaineers. I think it could be maybe twice that. I feel like the Mountaineers will, will come in and wipe the floor. But I got to be wrong. I, I, you've got a little Bobcats um, love that might be affecting your judgment. I might have a, a Bobcat shirt on this weekend. <laughs> All right, so we talked about this game. This is a game that we talked about with two of our guests, Ben Whitehead and JT, right? Although JT didn't have too much to say about that. We talked about these teams extensively. Southern Miss at Troy, 6 p.m. ESPN+. Plus. Kind of a new rivalry game between Troy and a, Southern, a surprising Southern Miss team. What do you see happening in this game, Tibbs? I like Troy, especially at home. I I do think that Southern Miss has showed what they can do. And so that's been impressive. But I I still like the Trojans. I think John Summerall has the team ready to go. I think that they are going to be competitive for the West title. And they'll be one step closer 
to that marquee matchup with South Alabama. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I I was really impressed with Southern Miss's victory over uh, uh, Tulane. I did not expect them to beat Tulane. I thought Tulane was just a good team. And then I watched Tulane beat uh, Houston, and it confirmed. Yeah, Tulane. But then Troy goes out and beats a Western Kentucky team that had just beaten FIU 73-0. to I don't care how bad FIU is. It's hard to shut out a team and put three points on them. That's an incredible incredible amount of points and amount of defensive will. And Troy just came out. We're not having that. So Vegas says six and a half for Trojans. That's kind of right, don't you think? Don't you feel like that that feels right? Yeah, I think that's about right. But I'll tell you what's what's crazier than that is this will be the first ever Fun Belt game for the Southern Miss Eagles. Wait a second. Back that up. Uh, Is that right? Is that true? I think you're right. They have not played a Stunbelt game yet. That's kind of crazy. To be informative and a key contributor to the show. <laughs> well done, kid. I do appreciate that. Gunnar Watson actually having the quietly leading the most prolific passing attack in the Sunbelt, leading them to a team conference best 333, 330 yards per game. Good for Gunnar Watson. I was worried for him at the beginning of the season. Let's move on to our next, because that's what we do second and short. We move on to the next game, and that next game is Coastal Carolina at your ULM Warhawks. Wait, is that right? Yeah, 7 p.m. ESPN+. Plus. What do you think of this game, man? And I'll tell you what I think. I think you're going to like what I think of this game. I really like Grayson McCall. I like Jamie Chadwell. I love mm-hmm. the till. We know that Jamie Chadwell pisses till. But Terry Bowden doesn't lose at home. And so I think that the Warhawks are able to send the ULM fans home happy on homecoming with a upset victory, the first for the Shawns. Coastal Carolina's 5-0, and Tibbs. We all know that. I think there's been some, even some national media that kind of like wants to, you know, make that something that maybe bigger than it really is. They've got the worst pass defense in all of the Sunday. You can pass on these guys. Now, ULM doesn't have a prolific pass offense. But Chandler Rogers can throw the ball. He, If he can find his receivers, find somebody who can step up for him, well, that's pretty dangerous. I, I like the Warhawks at Malone Stadium. They play so tough. Like you just said, they play so tough at home. This is my upset special. Vegas says 14 chance to clears. I'm picking the the Warhawks upset. I told you the Warhawks are gonna win, no doubt. I'll be there. You gonna put, you gonna put some money on that? I will. I will send you pictures. By the way, bet the over. Every game has crossed the sixty threshold. I think the over under was fifty eight on the Vegas odds. That's pretty great. Here's another uh, Vegas odds tidbit that you might not know: that Arkansas State has beaten the spread. Every single game. I think that the only Sun Belt team does that. I was glad they did it against Ohio State. That's the only game I cared about. <laughs> and that is the end of second and short. And you did a great job. We you did, we didn't have 
uh, Shane Metlin to help us out with the East. It was all you, Tibbs, and I applaud you. Well done. You While you're giving applause, quick rundown of the standings, women's volleyball. Three <laughs> undefeated teams in the East, Georgia Southern, 2-0, uh-huh. Old Dominion 2-0, Coastal Carolina 4-0. In the West, we're just killing each other. The Raging yeah. Cajuns, Texas State, South Alabama, all 3-1. and one. ULM, Arkansas State, bringing up the bottom of the standings at 0-4. App State, the only 0-4 team on the East. Yeah, yeah. You know, I watched a little bit of that. Uh, you, uh, it was Louisiana versus Arkansas uh, State volleyball, and man, Arkansas State was just overpowered. I don't know what that, where that program's going. And do you have any soccer standings? I do. No, okay. Texas State, yeah. flawless three zero and one in conference play on the west side. Arkansas State second place three and one. Yeah, yeah, doing pretty good. Yeah, on the, standing on the East, regular. Yep. On the East, James Madison, 3 0 1. App State, 2 2. That's your top two teams. Coastal Carolina, 0 3 1. Raging Cajuns bringing up the bottom of the West at 0 2 2. Is it possible that James Madison is our new war, our overlord? That, that James Madison is, is setting the stage for a complete and total Sunbelt sun takeover? It definitely feels that way. I mean, we already know they're going to be pretty legit in uh, softball. They're showcasing yeah. it right now in football. Uh-huh. You know, when, when we had Noah and Shane on as guests before they joined the show full time, they weren't very big on them in baseball, though. So maybe maybe we still have that at edge. But you know what they are big excited is basketball. So we got to worry about them for basketball, too. This might be a Duke's world, and we might be paying them rent. That sucks for us old timers. It does. You know, the Sunbelt OG, you know, we've got the history behind us, but man, we can't live in the past, Tibbs. We can't live in the past. We could always we go back or conference USA. <laughs> How about some closing? Th- what is it? What, what, what's, what's the cadence here? Closing thoughts, uh, plugs, promo. Is it plugs, promos, closing thoughts? Plugs promos, parting shots. Parting shots, the three Ps. Tibbs, what's your plug promo and or parting shot? I just found out Mm -hmm. the world tour of the TikTok sensation Savannah Bananas will be coming (laughs) to H-Town in March. And yours truly will be there for sure, for sure. Is this a front row event for you? I don't know if it's front row. That that might be... Too much. Uh, I like sitting middle on the aisle. All right. Okay. Yeah, you don't want to be up front. That's too fanboy. Just be a little more anonymous, be a little more chill. And then for my my promo, Warhawk Report, we had a great conversation last night with President Ron Berry, giving us the inside scoop Mm -hmm. of the happenings around ULM campus, athletic and academic as well. Okay. little insight on the athletic director search. Getting ready Ooh. to get that kicked off with a committee to try to have somebody in place for the first of the year. I've got an idea. Athletic director Dusty Thibodeau. You know, I, I, I thought about it, but President Barry said that he wanted somebody with experience. All right. Yeah. I don't have NCAA experience. Yeah, but you did serve some time with the Astros. So make sure you play that card 
if you have that opportunity. I will put on my two rings on the interview. <laughs> uh, my plug, pro, promo, parting shot. Well, yeah, all right. My parting shot is that I went ahead with the missus and, and binge watched that Netflix series, Dahmer. Don't ruin it. I'm only, I'm only two episodes in. <laughs> I'm not going to. It's hard to ruin. I mean, you can just look at Wikipedia. No, no, you know what happens. Next thing, right? you'll, next thing you'll do, tell me Titanic sinks. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know how it's all going to end. So what it really comes down to is performances. And uh, Evan Peters, who, he plays the title character, does a great job. Uh, he puts on that Wisconsin accent. His camps and accent to a T. It's just extraordinary how he has transformed himself into this odious guy. And that's kind of my problem. Is that I, you know, I'm watching this series and it's it's shining spotlight on a guy that probably doesn't need a spotlight. And the show does go through and tries to tries to have it both ways. They try to try to say, oh hey, look at all these people that 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 gets exploited from tragedy and and look how horrible it was. But at the same time, Netflix is exploiting the tragedy, so it's a little hard to kind of uh, to to stomach what Netflix has done here. So I, I I'm of two minds about the show. Tips at one point, I'm like I'm looking at some performances that are really good, and it's done very well. But at the same time, I'm a little sick to my stomach being entertained by this show. So. That is my parting shot. My plug is go ahead, read Hellraiser. Uh, there will there is no serial killing going on on Hellraiser.com. Just good, clean, sports fun. Take a look at it. I'd appreciate it. Hellraiser.com. And of course, visit our Twitter page at FunBeltPC. Uh, just go ahead and find us. We're very active. Hey, we're very active on 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 twitter have we reached a thousand yet have we gotten a thousand people to follow us yet we did we crossed the thousand threshold dms always open we do get dms we appreciate we love it all we appreciate the listeners hell that's how we get guests that is how we sometimes wind up getting guests yeah yeah so uh with that my name's jeremy harper from hellraiser.com he is dusty thibodeau from the Warhawk Report, Shane Metlin will hopefully be with us next week. I bid you good night, and we look forward to week six of college football. Edit that out, Dusty.